Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Sure is quiet in this house. You know, they got a saying, a dead, a quiet church is a dead church. No, I didn't call you dead. That was another church down the road. I, I, I don't want to, no. Well, Pastor Brandon's away, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, and it's pretty good that uh, he, he trusts me with you guys. It's a dangerous thing, too. But uh, he evidently thinks that I, I can handle it. Or I, I, those of you who didn't know, uh, I remarried after my wife went to heaven on me, and I married this beautiful lady, Laura, Laura Sparks. She's my wife here. Yeah. August, August 22nd uh, this year, we, I, we, uh, I chased her. Well, I knew her for 16 months. I chased her for 14, over 100 nights in hotel rooms in San Antonio, Texas. Run the math on that. Again, it wasn't an expense. It was an investment. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> hey, I got a word for you. It's gonna, I'm going to try to be a blessing to you today. And if, you, if you're new here, then I pray that you come back and hear Pastor Brandon and meet his beautiful wife, Krista. They're amazing family. And uh, they're, I just love them so much. Do anything for them. Love you guys. I feel, feel at home when I'm here. So it's like I just slip right into my old house shoes and not easy. It's, you know, I, I get to visit from the pulpit and I'll waste a lot of time. So let's just get to it. Several men sitting in a locker room of a golf club, cell phone begins to ring on the bench, and a man nearby engages a hands-free speaker function and says, hello, and everyone stops to listen. The voice on the other end says, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? He responds, yes. I'm at the shops now, and I found this beautiful leather coat, uh, and it's only $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure, go ahead if you like it that much, she continues. Also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and I saw that new model. It's, uh, I really liked it. Okay, how much? It's $200,000. He says, okay, at that price, I want all the options. She answers, great. And she continues. I was just talking to Janie and I found out the house I wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking 2.2 million for it. He responds, well, go ahead and make an offer for 2 million and they will probably take it. If not, we can go the extra $200,000 if that's what you want. She says, okay, I'll see you later. I love you so much. He answers, I love you too. The man hangs up the phone. The other men in the locker room are staring at him in astonishment with their mouths wide open. He turns and asks, Anyone know who this phone belongs to? <laughs> yeah. Senior age couple finally learned how to send and receive text messages on their cell phones. The wife, being a romantic, decided one day to send her husband a text while she was uh, away from the house having coffee with friends. She texted. If you're sleeping, send me your dreams. 
If you're laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. The husband, being a no-nonsense kind of guy, texts back, I'm in the bathroom. Please advise. You know, so often we, we, we look at ourselves and we, uh, we can disqualify ourselves pretty easily because um, we're imperfect. Um, anybody here perfect? If you are, we'll cast the lying spirit out of you here in a minute. No one here is perfect, right? So when our imperfections begin to shine through a little bit, then we really disqualify ourselves to be a witness for Jesus or to be a blessing in other people's lives. And that's a lie. That's just a flat lie. You know, if the enemy can't stop you, he's going to do everything he can to just discredit you, uh, dishonor you, and make you feel like that you're ill-equipped and you can't be a blessing to anyone's life. That is such a ridiculous lie. And... Uh, so he goes after us, and I call him, I love the way I heard a guy say it, call him the hurt whisperer. He, he's a hurt whisperer. He's the one that's always, when you're the, the, the tiredest, the lowest part in your life, then, the, then the, the, the voices start. And you have to war against those. That's why the Bible tells us to renew our minds so that we can be able to say, and always do it like this. When my feelings begin to, to go in a direction that they shouldn't be, like I want to isolate myself or I start getting angry or I start feeling rejected or I, or I get an attitude about someone. I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit don't lead me that way. This isn't rocket science. Because when your feelings are starting to move you in a direction that is not love, not peace, not joy, then you have to say, wait a minute, These are, this, this is not the way my father thinks. Because the Lord says, my thoughts about you are peace to give you a future and a hope. That's what his thoughts are. And when we begin to, to, to put ourselves in a level that where we can't be a blessing to anyone, then we, we actually have a low-grade fever of total disqualification, and we can't ever reach out to anyone. You have a testimony, or you wouldn't be in this chair today. God's impacted your life in some way. Or you're hungry in a way that you've never been before, and God is dealing with you. Either way, God is up to something. Uh, you know, let me just remind you, Adam disobeyed God and blamed his wife Eve. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived his dad and stole his brother's birthright. Moses murdered a man. Gideon had low self-esteem. David had an affair with a married woman. He got her pregnant and had her husband murdered. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah ran from God. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was hot-tempered, cursed, and denied the Lord three times. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages and was living with a man. Zacchaeus embezzled uh, tax money. Uh, Thomas doubted. Paul had Christians killed and thrown into prison. Timothy was insecure. John Mark quit the ministry. The prodigal son took God's money and did all kinds of nasty things with it. God used all these imperfect people to impact the world. Now, he didn't, leave, he didn't use them in the sin. 
I mean, sin wasn't glorified. God just said, hey, I can take anyone and I can use them to be a blessing. And we read in the scriptures where we see these peoples actually change nations, change the world. You know, I'm thankful that God quit writing scriptures because I would hate to say that Terry Sparks and then list all my dirty laundry. How about you, huh? I don't want that. But here we've learned by example that God will take someone with a horrible past and use them to impact the world. So we're going to learn some life lessons from some some people and we're going to run a race together. That's why I wore my tennis shoes. Not that I'm a runner, but I just like to look like one. I'm cute in my shoes. Yeah. Uh, I've overstepped the bounds. <laughs> Cute and 71 don't look good. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, you know. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we're not running an actual race, but we're living a life, and it seems like a race. In every part of my life, whenever I seem to be the tiredest or having the most difficult time, I start trying to look to Jesus. Now, uh, you know, I look to Jesus every day, but, you know, sometimes we ask him to bless our food, and other times we're crying in in a hospital room, you know, asking God to heal someone. We are all different places but we look to Jesus because he, 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 he's, he's how we finish well. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he will finish it. Uh, so in enduring life, we have to always keep Jesus as a centerpiece of everything that we go through. Sometimes life is difficult. I wish I could tell you that you wouldn't go through trials, tribulations, you wouldn't suffer loss, you would never have any, anything go wrong in your life, but I, that would be lying to you because that's not true. Life will happen to you. It, it, it just comes at you. Uh, some people think it's all green lights and lollipops. That's not the case. Life can be hard. And we need Jesus to get through difficult times. I tell you that Jesus has never failed me. Even when I didn't understand what happened and it didn't make sense to my doctrine, I still trusted Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work, you're a good work, he began a good work in you, will complete it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we see that God is introducing us to a place of life that where we begin to run a race. And races are, are not always fun. You hit the wall sometimes. You just run until you can't run anymore and you still put one foot in front of the other. I've, I've done that before. I've, I've actually took a wrong turn one time and had to run seven miles, the longest I'd ever run in my life. And at the end of that seven miles, I said, I'll never do that again. beautiful thing about this is that we run together. 
You're not in a different race than I am. I put my pants on just like you do. We, we're in this together. I, I don't run this race hoping that I win and you lose. No, I run this race hoping that you win and I win. We all want to run this race successfully together. And we run better together. Can you imagine with me now, if we're kind of going to use your imagination in this sermon that uh, we're surrounded, we're in a coliseum and, and we're on a track field and we've all been running. We've been running a while and, and we're tired. And some people are saying, I want to quit running. I don't want to run anymore. And some smart aleck are saying, I'm just getting started. But we're just all, all different kind of places. And, and so what do we do? We need some encouragement. And out of the cloud of witnesses steps someone and it's Noah. He runs up alongside you and he smiles. He's going to coach you. He's going to teach you how to run your race. He's going to change your life. He's going to give you some, some wonderful advice. And you listen for his encouragement. He says this. He says, you can make a difference. Not your neighbor, you. You can make a difference. In the days of Noah, God was so upset with humanity, he was going to wipe them off the entire planet because it says their thoughts were on evil continually. And God was sorry that he made man. Except he found this one guy, Noah. And the scripture says that he found grace in the sight of the Lord. That means that Noah was continually to seeking God, continued to, even when he, things didn't make sense, he was looking unto his God, knowing that God had something for his life. And out of Noah, he started a whole nother being, people. Now, I, I don't want to get into the details of why their thoughts were only continually, but it's a long story. I don't have time to go there. But Noah had not been affected by any of the ungodliness in his generation. He continued to stand strong. You know, we're surrounded by people. And we can make a decision to live like everyone else or we can make a decision to say, no, I'm going to live for God. We, that's a decision that you make. I can't make that for you. You make it. We've seen people that say, I'm going to quit living for God. I'm just not going to serve God anymore. Well, that's, that's, that's not going to solve your problem because God is for you. So who could be against you? God's in your corner. Jesus says, I, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your friends will leave you or forsake you. But God says, I'm with you always. And so when we make a decision to, to live for God, then we say, you know, I, I'm going to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He's going to be with me. And I know that his grace is on me. For by grace are you saved through faith, not through works, lest any man should boast. We know that we have been enriched by grace, so we can say that grace is on our life. We have something. And we know that your life can make a difference. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your church. You can make a difference in your job. You can make a difference at your school. And you can make a difference in your generation. You, you, don't push it off on anyone else, you. The other thing I like about it is Noah was 500. That's back when they lived a long time, 500 when God spoke to him. Now, I'm telling you, if you're 500 years old, I'm going to tell you to your face, you're older than dirt. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 70s, the new 50, you know. At least that's what I'm saying. You know, because of the blood of Jesus, we have found grace. We have found grace. Jesus made a difference in our life, so now then we want to make a difference in others. If you're a child or a senior citizen, doesn't matter. It means that God wants to use you. Look at your neighbor and say, you make a difference. You make a difference. Look at your other neighbor and say, you make a difference. So I'm not feeling it. I don't care what you feel like. You make a difference. Huh? Now don't, don't slap your spouse and say, you're making a bad difference. You know, use your faith. Come on, use your faith. Think about the positive things. Don't think about that argument you had on your way to church. Don't think about that. You know, the husband in there screaming, we're going to be late, and you're trying to get all the kids together, and you just want to slap him when you get in the car. Don't talk about those things. You know, if you'll just stop and do an inventory and say, think of the people that's made a difference in your life. Now, think of the people that you made a difference in their life. Because God sends us people. And we're sent to people so they can make a difference in us. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We just can't. So another character steps out of the cloud of witnesses is David. He's come to run to encourage us. He says, you can overcome the limitations others place on you. Saul had sinned and Samuel said, I'm going to anoint a new king of Israel. He told Jesse, Jesse, I'm going to come to your house tomorrow. I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. God told me to, so I'm going to be there. So have all your boys lined up. Samuel, you know, I, I believe that uh, Jesse walked in, grabbed a hold of his wife and said, babe, he says, Sam, the prophet's coming tomorrow. He's going to anoint one of our sons to be the next king of Israel. And uh, I believe they were excited. I believe they sat down with a pen and paper and a cup of coffee, began to try to decide which son it was going to be. The first thing he says, the dad says, it's got to be the oldest son because the oldest son in our, in our in the Jewish culture, he, he gets everything. He's just the one that gets it all. And his wife says, babe, you know, he fell out of that tree when he was six years old and he hit his head and he's never been the same since. He's, he just can't lead. I mean, sometimes he gets lost all the time. He, he can't lead the nation. Well, it's got to be the third son because, you know, he was the one that, you know, he's always wanting to lead everyone, do everything. So they discussed it. The next day, Sam, the prophet shows up and he's got all of his seven sons, seven sons, men from the oldest right down to the youngest and had them their best there. And Sam walks in expecting the first one he grabs up, walks up to it's the oldest says, this has got to be the one. And God says nothing. Walks up to the second one, nothing. All the way down to, to number seven and God says nothing. Samuel the prophet says, Jesse, can I talk to you outside? We got a problem. So he steps outside and Samuel says, none of these boys are king material. I don't get it. Do you have another son? And Jesse says, yeah, he's like 16. He's watching the sheep. 
because he's a sheep boy. He's not a king boy. He's a sheep boy. He plays the guitar all the time, plays with a, a slingshot, and just, he's the, go get him. Now think of David. How difficult that must have been to think that you had limitations put on you by your mom and dad, that you weren't even qualified. Didn't stop there with David. He was anointed king, we know, and then he, he, David was, was sent down by his dad to go take his brother's provisions because they were in a standoff with the Philistines. This big guy, they say, is like nine foot six. He's a huge man. Goliath comes on the scene, and he's, he says, you send me your best man, and I'll fight him, and whoever wins, wins the war because we want to own Israel. And that was, that was, and he did that every day. He'd come out and he says, send me someone. And he defiled, the, he defiled God. He defiled the, their army. He defiled everything. So here comes the runt, David. He brings the food and his brothers are saying, what are you doing here, shepherd boy? You know, we're Marines and you're just a goof off shepherd boy. And about that time, Goliath comes out and does all these accusations against it. And one must says, yeah, if we can find someone to fight that guy, he gets a huge reward. He gets to live tax-free in the land. And he gets to marry the beautiful daughter of the king. And David says, I'm in. I'm in. I've seen her. I'm in. Let's do this. And... Uh, the captain of the guard grabbed a hold of David, ran him to Saul's tent, which is the back, because he's as far away from Goliath as he could get. And he says, King Saul, live forever. I have good news. I have bad news. Well, what's the good news? Good news is we found someone to fight Goliath. What's the bad news? <clears throat> it's David. We know that David ran towards that giant told him what he was going to do and he killed him that day and, and the Philistines ran for their lives and they had a great victory there because he knew that David overcome the limitations others put on him you know when you look at it like this David's dad and mom didn't think he was king material his brothers didn't think he was soldier material. Saul didn't think he was giant killing material. But David overcame the limitations others put on him. You know, not everybody likes me. Not everybody thinks I'm all that good. I don't care. I know God thinks I'm pretty good. He gave me the blood of his son Jesus. That puts me right up there with everybody else. But people sometimes announce over you. As a child, I was announced over a lot. I had a lot of negative things talked about in me. I, and uh, it stuck. Led me into a place of rebellion. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things went wrong in my life. But Jesus came into my life. And when he came into my life, he began to erase the limitations that others put on me.
and he'll do the same for you and he's doing the same thing for you as you are there today. You know, it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter your size or your age. It doesn't matter how big your giant is. What matters is how big is your God? How big is your God? You can overcome every limitation spoken over you. Don't call yourself dumb. Don't even think the thought, I can't accomplish anything. So what? You're between stuff. Who cares? It's not all been written of you yet. Some other things are happening. Oh my, look at that time. So here comes another one. It's Rebecca. We need a woman running now. She walks up, she gives some advice, and she says, be ready to serve and help others with a good attitude. Now, Abraham sent Eleazar to go find a wife for his son Isaac. Now, Eleazar was an older guy, and, and he was married to a lady that was big boned and strong, had missing a few teeth, and Isaac began to pray because Isaac knew that Eliezer thought his wife was beautiful and he was concerned that Eliezer was gonna bring him a big bone, strong woman with missing teeth and he started praying. And so Eliezer prays, says, Lord, I wanna be, be obedient, so please show me the wife for, my, for, the, for Isaac. And he goes to the, back to this homeland and he says, okay, this is what I want. Lord, if, you'll, if someone, if a young lady asks me to, for a drink of water, then that will be it. So no, that's not enough. If she asks to give me a drink and then also waters my camels, that'll be the one. Now, uh, you know, that little postscript in prayer there, a camel can drink 20 gallons of water. 10 camels, that's 200 gallons of water. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of water. So as they finish praying, here comes Rebecca. She's, she's petite and pretty, and this woman can't work. I need a bigger woman than this. And, and, and lo and behold, she walks up, says, can I? He asks for a drink. She gives him a drink, says, let me water your camels also. And he says, get at it. And he sets down. Now, Eliezer's got some other servants. They're all men, and they sit down, and they watch this lady begin to water all these camels, 10 camels. And what she does is she begins to serve with a good attitude, not knowing that on the back of those 10 camels were all kinds of riches for her. She didn't know. Let's say that she can lift five gallons, 20 liter bucket. That's 41 pounds or 19 kilograms. She still, it, it, she will make 40 trips. That's hard work. And camels stink and they can bite. Total weight, 1,620 pounds or 735 kilograms of water. What makes the, the more challenging is Rebecca and sees that all the men are sitting down. Now, come on, Texas girls. Come on, you volunteered to help and now all the men are sitting there and watching you work. How good is your attitude? Not very long, about halfway through it, you're gonna take that bucket, hit him upside the head so you water your own dang camels. I'm out of here. Hey, I, listen, 
I know Texas women. Yeah, they'll take so much and that's it. Then look out. So it takes her three minutes. I don't think she can do it. Three minutes, that takes three minutes. That's two hours. Two hours hauling water. She had no idea she was an answer of prayer, watering camels. She had no idea by serving with a good attitude, she was receiving her destiny. She'll become one wealthy bride. And then with her, with her lineage would come her Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, when you serve others with a good attitude, God will get you to your destiny. He will open doors for you that no man can shut. Do you know that your attitude is your greatest weapon or your greatest enemy? <laughs> you know, sometimes <clears throat> I've learned that when my attitude gets bad, <clears throat> I keep my mouth shut because I'm working on something. And those that know you really well, they can tell that your attitude's bad. Have you ever seen her say, what's wrong with you? Don't want to talk. Leave me alone. I'm working on something. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, your attitude will not, be, will not be silenced. It's not content till it's expressed, good or bad. What we're working for today is to have an attitude to help others. Well, what's in it for me? Ah, everything. Everything. Well, I don't, want to, I don't want to serve without money. Ah, you get something better than money. See, this worship experience is brought to you by people that serve. From the parking lot, nursery, some single mom brought her kids. She wants to experience Jesus by us serving her. She can come in here and experience Jesus. By you saying, I want to be a part of the serve team, let someone experience Christ. So you understand that people that are serving out there are just as important as someone standing up here? Are you hearing me? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is just a servant. I'm a servant leader. That's it. I never outgrow a servant. We never do. But we have to do it with a good attitude. Can I suggest perhaps your destiny will be revealed when you learn to serve others. Find someone to help. It's not in this church, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your job, somewhere that you can help someone and do it with a joyful heart. Amen. I'll do one more. Little boy comes running out of the crowd of witnesses. We don't have a name. We just know he was the boy that gave Jesus five loaves and two fish. He gave Jesus a two-piece fish dinner. That's it. So this obscure character comes to run a lap with us and we're going to receive from wisdom from him. We'll do a story backdrop for you that Jesus is at the height of his popularity. It says in the, in the scriptures that 5,000 men were there. They didn't count the women and children. From that, we can say that there's probably at least 15 to 20,000 people in the crowd as Jesus is speaking. And, and he spoke all day and, and then the disciples started getting hungry and they looked at the, the crowd. They began to evaluate like Jesus didn't know that the crowd was hungry. And uh, they, they walk up to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, we hate to interrupt you here, but uh, 
these people are hungry. We need to break up this meeting and send them away so uh, they can get some food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, I don't know how you would feel about that, but that would really intimidate me. How am I going to give Jesus? How am I going to do that? Now, give me a little prophetic license here. I, I think that with anything that Jesus needs to seed, and not that he could create anything out of anything, but anyway, so he's looking, go through the crowd. Anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? Now, out of 15,000 people or 20,000 people, you mean to tell me that no one else in there had food except this little teenage boy? And he had a two-piece fish dinner. I, listen, right now, if I said I wanted a snack, there'd probably be a hundred women in here that could bring, get, bring up here and give me something to eat. I mean, I've seen your suitcases. You're like you're walking 7-Eleven. You've got everything in there. Band-Aids, cookies, you know. I was amazed at the things that my wife would come out of with. She said, that, all this food and stuff. So I know that there had to be something, but, but here the story set up by God, I think, and, and we see this boy says, oh, hey, I've, I've, got, I've got it. I've got, I've got a two-piece fish dinner. For him to give that, he's starving. He's hungry. He's a young man, and mom's made it for him, and, and he volunteers to give it. Disciples take it and off they go to, to give it to Jesus. And, and I think the young boy followed it, food everywhere it went. I mean, he says, I got to see what's going. And next thing, he's face to face with Jesus. And, and he looks at the face of Jesus. And, you know, when you come into the presence of God, nothing matters. He becomes the central focus of everything. And Jesus looks at him and says, are you giving me your lunch? He says, yes, sir, I'm giving you my lunch. He says, sit here and watch me do what I do. And the disciples fed 15, 20,000 people out of that two-piece fish dinner, and, and they had 12 baskets left over. I think the boy was so taken back by it, he ran home. And he said, Mom, Mom, Mom. You know the two-piece fish dinner that you made me? Yeah, son, I did. I gave it to Jesus, and he fed 15,000 people. Henry, get the belt. The boy's lying again. I've heard theologians say that the 12 baskets went to the 12 tribes. That sounds really good, but they didn't sow. The boy sowed. The 12 baskets went home to prove to mom Jesus did feed all this out of your son's meal. It was a gift. The only boy that didn't need a miracle was a boy with a lunch. And God used him to give. Sometimes you're the only thing that God can use. You're it. It marked him, marked him for the rest of his life. He, he, he just couldn't help himself. It, it, he told all of his friends, he told anybody that listened how, how God used him. And then the first, when his kids came along, that was, that was his bedtime story. Grandkids come, his bedtime story, how he, Jesus used him to, to do his lunch. And I, I think that he, 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 it so marked him that he become a giver. He, became, he lived to give. He lived to serve. He lived that he became such a, I, I, I want to meet this, this boy. I want to meet him when I get to heaven because I think he was so used by God by just giving. What's, what's his 
theme? What's his wisdom? His wisdom's this. You can trust Jesus with your lunch. If you're hanging on to something and you don't want to give it, it may own you. See, God's never trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you. And when God begins to pull on your heart to tithe or to give or whether it be to help some, some uh, one with rent, someone with food, wherever it is, whatever you're doing, that God begins to pull you into a place of giving that understand it's not just about you. It's not just about them. It's sometimes it's about you. Because I want to be able to be generous. I want to be able to be in a place where I can have a heart to give like this young man did. To give. People say, you know, tithing. Tithe, 10 cents on a dollar. 10 cents on a dollar. Doesn't sound much when you put it like that. When I started giving and started tithing, I was, gosh, you just got saved. I was in the United States Navy making 300 and I think $11 a month. Nothing. $31 is a lot of money for me. But you know, I can tell you right now that God has always been faithful to me. I've never not paid a bill. I've never gone hungry, well, on purpose. God's always been there. Can, can, can I get a testimony? Has God been faithful in your finances? Can I hear an amen? That was a weak amen. In Africa, we say your, your amen is weak. God's faithful. He's faithful. So... I love the fact that God is so generous. Noah, one person can make a difference no matter how old you are. David, you can overcome the limitations others place on you. Rebecca, serve and give to others with a generous spirit. And the little boy with the lunch, you can trust Jesus with your lunch. Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you that, Father, that that you deal with us. Just, just simple prayer, just simple prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Let him be the one that guides you. Let him be the one that inspires you. Father, I pray that you continue to move in these, this wonderful body of believers that I know that in this community, in the world, they're making a difference. We're making a difference, Lord, by touching each and other one. Our lives, Lord, whether it be our children, grandchildren, our friends, the people that we work at our jobs, that, Lord, we see all matter of lives that are being changed. That, Lord, a simple testimony of how Jesus changed our life. God, that you're moving in the lives of this community. Thank you, Lord, for using this wonderful congregation. Bless them in all they do. Bless them, Lord God, in, 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 in every simple thing. It seems as if they're not making a difference. I, I take authority over discouragement now in Jesus' name. You've been intimidated to the point where you don't even feel like that anyone listens or you don't matter. Father, I break that lie in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will encourage. You lift up their hearts, Father. Touch them in a way that only you can. 
Today, if you're in the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you that I was like you? I was away from God, abusing drugs and alcohol, about to get a divorce, and there God showed up in my life and saved me. I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm telling you that he changed my family tree. He changed my life, he changed my wife's life, he changed my children's life and my grandchildren's life, and anybody, anybody that listened to me, he began to change their lives. I'm telling you, he, you can change your life when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All your sins will be forgiven, past, present, and future. Heaven will be your home. The greatest decision you can make is giving your life to Jesus. And maybe you've strayed away from God and, and you've done your own thing and to the point now that you say, I'm done with me. I've done stupid too long and today I want to quit and I want to give my life back to Jesus. Have the courage to give, the, to, to give Jesus the will of your life and let him guide you into your destiny because you can't do it without him. None of us can. You'd like to pray and receive Jesus as Lord and your Savior, or you'd like to rededicate your life. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to minute, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, raise it boldly, and I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. And God's going to change your life. One, two, three. Raise your hands. And hands all over. I love bold. I love bold hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. See, this is between you and God. I'm just a donkey up here talking. He's the one that's dealing with you. The Holy Spirit's the one that's put his finger on your life. And you know, what Jesus starts in you, he will complete. Let's say this prayer together, church family. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ and that you were crucified for my sins and that you were raised from the dead. Give me a desire for your word and fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let's give everybody a hand clap, praise God. You know, man, I love to see people give the devil a black eye, man. I just, come on. You know, we all got together today for just people to raise a hand and receive Christ, that's it, that's it, that's it. There's, that's the win, that's the win, that's the win. Angels are rejoicing. <laughs> Hell's mad. We don't care. Amen. Now, if you received, if you've prayed that prayer, there's going to be some, there's lots of folks going to be up here that are going to pray for you if you have prayer needs for healing or, or just uh, whatever it may be. You received Christ or rededicated your life to, to Jesus, then find somebody and tell them what you did. Tell them, make a mark, stand up, let someone know. Hey, I prayed and God intervened. So we're here to minister to you in any way that you need whatsoever. God bless you. All right, stand to our feet.
Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. You blessed us in the city and you blessed us in the field. You blessed us going in and coming out. You caused all things we put our hand to to prosper. You've anointed us with the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal body and it quickens us. The same, we thank you, Lord God, as we go out of here, if a thousand falls at one side and 10,000 the other, no evil shall befall us. No plague shall come to our dwelling. For the long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. Now we go out of here armed and dangerous with a gospel of peace to make a difference in suffering humanity. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love on somebody. Make a difference. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.